Greetings, listeners. You found hope. This is the Bridge to Hope podcast, Finding Hope. I'm Melissa, and I'm here with Coltra. We also have Kat joining us for our Relationships, Boundaries, and Sex, Oh My, series. Today, we are going to talk about consent and boundaries. This may be a sensitive topic to discuss, so please stop listening when you need to practice some self-care. Let's jump right in. define boundaries for me? Yeah, so before I get too far into boundaries, I just want to say that I got a lot of my information from Psych Central and loveisrespect.org. So when we talk about boundaries at the Bridge to Hope, we're not only talking about property lines, fence lines, things like that, any physical barriers. We're also talking about boundaries in somebody's own personal limits. Boundaries in a relationship are more about what we are okay with our partner doing, saying, or knowing in a healthy and communicated way. I think some examples would help with this. So boundaries could be with kissing. You're fine with kissing, but not in public. Maybe you want more personal space. Uh, You need certain communication and texting regularly might be fine, but not constantly through the day. Um, Some couples might be okay with sleeping over once or twice a week, but not with sleeping over every day. Things like that. Boundaries are where we say no to something that makes us uncomfortable or would be a quote-unquote deal-breaker. We don't always have to say no for it to be a boundary, but we should communicate our boundaries with partners or dates to establish what kind of behavior is okay and what is not. Boundaries exist in relationships no matter what the status or how long the relationship has been established. Why are boundaries good to have? So boundaries are really important um, because of the way that it helps a healthy relationship function. It's really hard to have a healthy relationship without some type of boundaries. And boundaries in relationships help set expectations. If we don't have boundaries, we would likely feel taken advantage of, taken for granted, or intruded upon, leading to resentment, anger, hurt, burnout. Uh, For example, I know if I know I have a busy work week and typically cook dinner, I'll talk to my partner about him making dinner plans or asking him to pick up dinner for us. By communicating that before something happens or before we get to the night of, uh, then we can plan ahead before we get hangry. Beyond that, a normal week, I do most of cooking because it helps me relax and something I typically enjoy. My boundary that goes with doing the extra work is that my partner does the dishes. We established this early on in a way that worked for both of us and we knew what was expected and we agreed upon it. Boundaries don't only exist in romantic relationships, they exist in all relationships. Your lawyer may have a rule that you can only call during certain hours. That's a boundary. You and your roommates may buy groceries together, but not for your foods. You may have a friend coming over, but letting them know that they need to leave at a certain time. These are all boundaries that we have in various relationships that keep the relationship healthy, functional, and full of communication. Uh, Yeah, I think you made a good point when you were talking about you and your partner and your own boundaries. Like, it's cool to hear real life examples. And, you know, we have to kind (laughs) of be able to explain things from our real life, I think, in order to be able to uh, connect with others and really explain our our opinions and our thoughts on these matters. I think with boundaries, there are both verbal and nonverbal boundaries. And sure, sometimes things just kind of fall into place and work out and like you can kind of pick up on cues on those like nonverbal boundaries. But 
I think in order for boundaries to be effective, you really have to communicate those things instead of assuming, you know, you can't just assume that your partner's going to do the dishes. Right, exactly. If you cook, you know, it's something that you have to have a conversation about. It would be nice if somebody would just pick up that slack sometimes, but it doesn't always happen. Exactly. And like with, you know, if I decide that I'm not cooking, I make sure to tell him because it's kind of an expected thing that I was would cook if if that's just kind of our agreed upon normal routine. Like, right. It's not something I have to do. And like, that's a certainly a flexible thing where we can go back and forth and change the boundary or make it flex it sometimes, but it's not always one thing or nothing. Yeah, for sure. And that's why communication is very important. Like I said, in probably the last episode, nobody can read your mind. So I like to assume that If the dishes aren't done, that maybe my partner is going to do it. But I can't make that assumption because some people are better at relaxing than I am. So I just like to get everything done in the house, but that's not the case for everyone else. Um, So when we're talking about boundaries, I think another thing that's important to acknowledge is the concept of consent. Uh, We're doing better as a society when it comes to talking about consent and having these discussions, but... Uh, I think it's important for us as, as an agency that works with trauma, for myself, especially as a person who works directly with sexual assault survivors, it's important to continue these conversations and make them more public and widespread. To have an opportunity to spread the message and give people the tools and the language to talk about these things properly and um, be more comfortable talking about it, because I know it's not always a comfortable thing to discuss. But how can we have discussions about healthy relationships and sex without talking about consent? You can't. (laughs) So to kick off this discussion, Alyssa, would you like to do the honors? I would love to. Kat, what is consent? Oh, I am so glad you asked. (laughs) So consent is, in a nutshell, a voluntary, clear, coherent, and ongoing agreement to participate. Ideally, consent should be enthusiastic Um, Maybe you've heard the term enthusiastic consent before. Uh, Essentially, that just means that we want people to be able to say yes and mean it. Consent is a necessary component of discussing sexual health and healthy romantic relationships. But it's important to remember, too, that it can really apply to all aspects of our life, not just sex. And I encourage any of you listening to challenge yourself to think consciously about the different ways that consent is demonstrated in your daily life. Uh, It's all about choice and autonomy. Your body belongs to you, and that means that you have the right to make your own decisions and set your own boundaries and to be heard and respected. And of course, you have to respect the decisions other people make too about their own bodies and uh, respect the boundaries that they are setting for themselves as well. I remember very few discussions about consent growing up. In fact, I don't even remember where I learned the word, (laughs) which is just bizarre to me. Mm -hmm. But the conversations I do remember about consent usually centered around saying no. And that's great. It's important to remind people that they should be able to speak up when they're uncomfortable or that it's okay for them to turn somebody down if they don't want to do something. Absolutely. Let's keep talking about that for sure. Um, But however, I I don't remember anybody saying it's okay to say yes. Uh, And I think that saying yes is an is an equally important part of the consent discussion. Only focusing on saying no can kind of reinforce that shame and stigma that we see in our society. When you want to say yes, yes is an option too. And I don't think we talk about that enough. 
It can make it really scary to speak up about what you do want. So let me give like a little sex-free example of the importance of consent and communication, okay? So let's say you're going to Subway or some other unnamed sandwich shop. And before you even get to order, the employee making your sandwich starts loading the thing up with every ingredient without asking. Like, you haven't even had a chance to tell them that you want Italian herbs and cheese for the bread. How are they going to know what you want without consulting you first, right? And let's say that maybe by some miracle, they guess your order exactly right and end up making exactly the sandwich you wanted anyway. But like, (laughs) wouldn't it still feel better for them to spare you the anxiety by asking what you wanted in the first place? Like, I am a picky eater with an anxiety disorder, so I'd be panicking if somebody just started making my sandwich based on their assumption of what I want. And plus, it's uncomfortable to have to tell them, um, hey, actually, I don't want this sandwich at all. Especially if I'm talking to some stranger I don't know. And think of all the things that they could say back. Like, wow, I worked really hard making that sandwich. You're not going to eat it, really? Or... You looked like you wanted a sandwich. I don't get the big deal. Why would you come in here if you didn't want me to make you a sandwich? I hardly had the opportunity to to tell them, like, yeah, but I didn't want that sandwich. Or, actually, I just wanted to get one of those really good soft cookies and a raspberry iced tea. The sandwich maker should have just communicated with me in the first place. Would have made it a thousand times easier. Okay, so I I just went on about sandwiches for like entirely too long. (laughs) But hopefully the analogy helped illustrate my point a little bit more clearly. What I'm trying to say is we should practice being more aware of consent in our daily lives and activities outside of sex too. And it takes a conscious effort, but it's a good way to practice understanding and setting boundaries and communicating efficiently and effectively with the people around you. You'll probably mention it at some point too, but I think something that we also don't get taught with consent is not just that we can say yes, but also that it doesn't have to be all or nothing. Yes. Like you could totally, you know, maybe you're not willing to hook up, whatever that means, but like you'd be willing to make out. Absolutely. So like those yeah. Are two very different things. Right. And like, you know, you can enjoy those separately. You don't have, it's not, it doesn't have to be, well, I'm not going to have sex with you. So I'm going to go home. You can still make out, like yeah, yeah. As long as those boundaries are there and like they're recognizing what you're not consenting to, what's the problem? Yeah, and that's a great point, culture. I think it's always a good idea to continue checking in, and yeah, I'll I'll expand on that a little bit later. I think, but um, I'm glad that you brought it up because it is a really important point to keep in mind. When should people start having conversations about consent? Uh, The sooner, the better. I say. I so strongly alluded in my sandwich allegory to the idea that consent should be an ongoing discussion and it's not always necessarily of a sexual nature. I've loved hearing more conversations about teaching consent to children, even in simple ways, because I very much believe that lessons about consent should start early in life. But I also believe you can teach an old dog new tricks. It's never too late to learn and to start having these discussions, but gee, wouldn't it be easier to cement these ideas in your brain during childhood instead of tiptoeing around it and expecting people to unlearn all these problematic and harmful behaviors later in life? I really think about, like, little kids and Mm -hmm. telling your kids or niece and... Or, like, just telling kids in general, like, oh, you should go hug them. And kids say, no. Yeah. 
Whether that's them being shy or being a brat, but like also your kid is saying no. Right. Leave the choice up to them. And that's really important to instill that lesson early on so that they don't have to figure that out for themselves, figure out their own autonomy later on in life when right. it's a little more difficult. Because theoretically, if you're saying ignore that yucky feeling or your gut instinct and go do something that you're not right. comfortable with, that could be a very problematic thing later on. Yes, for sure. Yeah, so like, you know, as much as I speak on responding to sexual assault, I think it's equally important to put measures in place to prevent sexual assault. And I think these conversations are a big part of that. Providing education and encouraging open and honest conversations about consent are really great ways to help prevent sexual assault. And equipping people with the proper knowledge and tools is never a bad idea. So like you said, Coltra, I've seen more people shift to offering their children choices instead of forcing them into situations that they might be uncomfortable with. So again, instead of telling your child, go give uncle a hug, you could try asking, oh, would you like to go give your uncle a hug? Uh, Frame these things as choices rather than demands or obligations. And that helps kids build their confidence, their autonomy, their individuality, It's a way for us as adults to really help them learn to empower themselves and to make safe and informed choices throughout their lives. Uh, And that's a lesson that sticks with you, you know, for the rest of your life. Even as adults, I think that we should be checking in with each other more often and providing more opportunities to give and acknowledge consent. In April, our book club, Books with the Bridge, read the book Know My Name by Chanel Miller. And she wrote about her experience as a survivor of sexual assault in a high-profile case. Um, Somewhere toward the end of the book, she talks about going to yoga classes. And she says that at the yoga classes she attended, they offered a little white coin for participants to place on their yoga mats. And that would indicate if they were okay with the instructor touching them during the lesson. That's super cool. Right. I know. it's, It's really stuck with me since reading that. And she talked about how empowering that felt being able to make that choice as a survivor, she said it was really moving to, you know, when she was finally comfortable allowing the instructor to touch her, she said it was really important for her to be able to make that decision herself and to set that boundary without saying a word and without being questioned. And yeah, it really made me think about other ways in which our culture can do better about addressing consent and boundaries and how something so simple like that can make such a huge impact. And I want to continue exploring new ways to talk about consent and to really make choice, put, put that at the forefront and make choice more widely available where we can. Mm-hmm. Well, and something that I'm thinking about here, too, is like as as like serving, like you kind of just bump into people and like serving culture is very touchy feely with each other. That shift of realizing that, oh. I guess my coworkers aren't consenting Mm -hmm. to do whatever. And like, not like that any of us are predatory, but just realizing that we are very touchy feely in that setting, but like in a different setting, that's not appropriate. Yeah. And that's again, where those like spoken and unspoken boundaries Mm -hmm. come into play. Like it all, it's so situational depending on how well you know each other and like Mm -hmm. what kind of relationship you have established with somebody it's still not a bad idea to like check in and make sure everybody's comfortable because there are times where people might not feel comfortable speaking up when they're how intimidating that could be yeah for sure yeah but yeah i get what you're saying and you never know what somebody's 
been through. So mm-hmm. to just assume that they're fine with just a tap on the shoulder, maybe they're not. So asking right. consent is and what you can do. It could be, you know, it could be as simple as a tap on the shoulder. So how can we make sure that consent is present? I am a firm believer that people need to be able to use basic communication skills. Basic communication skills. If they plan on engaging in sexual activity in any capacity. I know that maybe seems like a really strict boundary, but that's my boundary. Um, If you aren't comfortable discussing your wants and needs with your partners, and if you aren't checking in with your partners about what they're comfortable with, then how can you really be sure that consent is present, you know? At that point, you're just kind of taking it on chance, which means you're putting yourself or your partners both at risk, um, at the very least, of some awkwardness, or worse, of sexual assault. And I'm by no means saying that it's your fault if you've been sexually assaulted. Absolutely not. The very opposite of that is true, actually. Uh, No, the point I'm trying to make here is that it can be really helpful and empowering to reflect on what you want and need as an individual and to be able to communicate those things, those thoughts and feelings you're having with your partners instead of just making assumptions about what your partners want or staying quiet about what you want. I hear a lot of people say that they're worried they might ruin the mood by asking for consent. That seems to be a really common concern, but you know what? Making assumptions that might be uncomfortable or harmful to your partners is the real mood killer. Mm -hmm. So, asking somebody... Um, You know, having somebody check in with you and make sure you're having an opportunity to give that enthusiastic consent feels good. It lets me know that my partners respect me and want me to have a good time. And I'd also like to note that consent can be revoked at any time. Mm -hmm. As we kind of briefly touched on earlier, just because you agreed to something initially doesn't mean you can't ask for it to stop. And just because you agree to one thing doesn't mean that you agree to everything. Or um, if you said yes to something once, that's not a forever yes. I often come across people who think that because they're in a relationship, they owe their partner sex or, you know, things like that, where they feel like they're obligated or that they don't have a valid reason to give a no. Um, Nope. We still have to talk about that with each other. Uh, And keep in mind, too, that consent can't be coerced or forced. That's not true consent. True consent requires that all parties involved are informed and capable of granting consent on their own free will. And communication has to continue. Otherwise, we fall back into this pattern of making assumptions like we've talked about. Um, So remember that the absence of no is not a yes. I'm saying or I'm not saying that you have to check in every two seconds and be like, "Okay, you good. But, you know, be conscious of body language. Try to check in as needed. Uh, whether that be periodically or because you want to try something new, whatever the reason, just to show respect to your partners. On that note of respect, I think that you're bringing up a lot of things that tie in with boundaries. So, you know, how do you respect boundaries? It's easy. You listen. Listen to what they're saying to you, what they need from you, um, and how they feel that their boundaries are being respected or disrespected. If your partner does not want to be kissed in public, don't kiss them in public. If they want some alone time, give them some alone time. It should be pretty easy to respect people's boundaries, and it shouldn't take much effort. Um, This could also really help and benefit your boundaries. If you're respecting other people's boundaries, they should have an easy time respecting yours as well. The only time respecting boundaries may be hard is when you don't like the boundary or if the boundary is controlling. And those are something that are 
different issues, if you don't like the boundary, sometimes your partner just kind of wins on those things. I think sometimes it's hard for people not to take somebody setting boundaries with them personally. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It, it's easy to feel like hurt or rejected or, you know, somewhere along those lines. And I understand that because we are really bad about talking about boundaries. Right, right. So, you know, we haven't had the opportunity to really fully understand them in our lives most of the time. But, you know, granted, it's a healthy boundary and not a toxic right. one. I think a good way to reframe that for yourself is that this person felt comfortable setting a boundary with you. Exactly. Right? Like, mm-hmm. you should feel glad that you are somebody in their life that they feel they can be open and honest with and feel that you will respect them. Mm-hmm. And I think something to note here is, like, I don't want to call anybody else out, but if you're uncomfortable with a boundary that is being set, that might be indicative of your own behavior. That's something that we talk with clients a lot where they're like, well, they're not going to like the boundary. All the more reason to set it because that might be indicative of them taking advantage of you. I think we see that a lot. Yeah. It's really easy to oversimplify this conversation. And yeah, like everything I'm saying here, I hope it's educational, but it's not, you know, a comprehensive, total, all-encompassing look at consent and boundaries. Right. You, know? you can't just say, oh, I'm going to start boundaries today and then do it for a week and then right. forget about it. You got to take time to reflect on those things. Practice, you know, changing it, adapting it to what fits you in right. your life. It's, it's not black and white. thousand percent agree <laughs> with you there. I think it can also be really hard to set a boundary, but ultimately it's easier to set a boundary early on than to try and set one later. You can also end up making bad boundaries if you try and set a boundary, but then don't enforce it or inconsistently enforce it, uh, which leads to a lot of miscommunication, confusion, uh, hurt feelings, and more. Bad boundaries could also happen when boundaries are based on control instead of respect. And so a boundary that would aim to restrict or tell a person what to do, that's not okay. It is so, 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 so important to know and to understand that boundaries and control are not the same thing. They can be related, but are definitely not the same. If somebody is saying that this is my boundary, so you have to do that, there's an issue with communication and some control right there. Yeah. Uh, Boundaries are not a way to tell a person how to act or what to do, rather what you cannot tolerate. If you find yourself setting boundaries that are controlling, it may be a good idea to examine your compatibility instead of why your partner can't do what you want them to do. Something to remember when it comes to boundaries is that your needs are important. If you do not prioritize your own needs, it'll be really hard to make boundaries that keep you feeling safe and secure. Don't doubt your importance and remember that those who can't respect your boundaries may not want what is best for you. Something that is pretty much always an opportunity to do when a boundary is broken is to walk away or leave the situation. This is a simple solution that can have a huge impact. If someone cannot respect your boundaries, walking away can be a clear way to show them that you do not need nor will you tolerate their behavior. Your needs are more important than the person who can't give you respect. I mean, things don't always work out how you plan, and it is really hard when you're learning boundaries to know how to properly enforce them, how to make them work. And it takes two, right? You depend on the other person to respect that boundary you set also. Right. Or else it doesn't work. 
but it's always a good idea to, you know, periodically reflect and reassess where you're at with your boundaries. And mm-hmm. if something's not working, you know, you can right. adjust those things. Because you can work on it. And it, just because it's a boundary doesn't mean that it has to be yeah. concrete. Right. <laughs> It, you can change and adapt and, th- you know, yes. life changes and adapts constantly. Exactly that. Yeah. yeah. Well, and then you talk too about toxic boundaries and controlling other people. And, you know, I understand, I, th- I think in our last episode it was, we talked about jealousy and some insecurities right. and things. Yep. And I think it's easy to want to control right. your relationships. Well, and saying like, oh, you can't go out with these people or those people because I know that they're bad influences. Right. Is that is that in their best interest or is that a controlling boundary? Right. And I think that's sometimes hard for people to differentiate. Mm-hmm. And maybe there's ways to, you know, if you're feeling those things, reframe the way you set your boundaries in a way that's healthy and productive. Right. Mm-hmm. So like, I know you're engaged and about to be yes, married, yes, thank you. but I'm just going to pretend I'm in a relationship with you for a second. Okay. So, like, Coltra. Yes, Kat. I know that you used to have a thing with Jessica, and I really don't want you to talk to her anymore because I don't like it, and it makes me uncomfortable. Kat, I'm so sorry. I'm going to continue talking to Jessica because we are still friends. Right. So, like... Yeah, obviously you should be able to keep talking to Jessica. That's unhealthy. But if I came at it from a different angle and I was like, look, this has nothing to do with you. You know, I've had some really bad relationships in the past. I've been cheated on and um, it does make me feel insecure. You know, I know you're still really close with Jessica. Mm -hmm. uh, And like, I don't want to assume that like you would cheat on me, but I just need a little bit of extra reassurance and comfort and like, Maybe could we increase our communication when you're hanging out with Jessica or about what you're doing? Like, I don't want to control what you do. Absolutely go and have fun with her. But I just, to ease my own anxieties in my mind, can we keep up communication? Kat, as your partner, I would be happy to let you know when I'm communicating with Jessica and hanging out with Jessica. And I will make sure that I talk to you about it beforehand. And I appreciate you saying this clearly in a way that I can understand and continue to respect. Wow, thank you. I'm so deeply in love with you in this fake relationship we're having right now. This is great. Beautiful. Okay, fake relationship ended even though it was really healthy. We're moving on. You can go back to being real life engaged and almost married. (laughs) So now that we talked more about boundaries and making them, how do you even start to enforce them? Yeah, so enforcing boundaries can be just as hard as making them, especially in a bad relationship. One of the key things to making a boundary stick is to repeat them and enforce that they are respected. Truly, the only person who disrespect your boundaries are those who gain something from disrespecting your boundaries. To keep boundaries enforced, you can repeat them when they are violated and have a conversation about why they are important to you. Communication is key. You must first set and communicate a boundary before you can enforce it. As close as you may be, you can never assume that your partner will always know your thoughts and feelings. By having a conversation about your boundaries and the feelings associated with it, your partner can better understand why that boundary matters to you. Choosing your battles is also another recommendation when it comes to enforcing boundaries, which might sound a little weird on the surface, but I'll explain. Choosing your battles can help you remember that relationships are not flawless, and neither is your partner. Everyone makes mistakes, but working toward a common ground where those mistakes don't happen often 
is a great solution. Having some compassion and forgiveness allows her mistakes to be that. Mistakes. If all mistakes were treated as a deal-breaker, it'd be hard for anybody to be in a relationship. Beyond that, if we can allow our partners mistakes, we can also allow ourselves to make mistakes. We shouldn't overburden ourselves when we slip up or give our partner a guilt trip. Neither of those things are healthy, nor do they help the situation. This does not mean that we should turn a blind eye to things that make us upset or uncomfortable. Just be considerate when you point out to someone that they have violated your boundary. They may have not even realized it. Address issues sooner than later. If your boundaries are being crossed, it won't help to ignore it. But a lot of people out there that would not know if something is wrong until someone tells them. So speaking up when you notice that your boundaries are being disrespected is always a good idea. Also, recognize when it's time to seek help. This is perhaps the toughest piece of advice yet. It is needed in many situations for long-term happiness. Deliberate, consistent overstepping of boundaries is another thing entirely. If your partner is unable or unwilling to respect your boundaries, you should strongly consider getting some outside help from a professional counselor. There's always hope for change in a relationship, but sometimes it takes the guidance of a trained therapist or outside person to equip and empower you with ways to handle issues that are negatively affecting your relationship. Now that we kind of talked about enforcing boundaries, let's talk more on consent. So what are some ways to ask for consent? Um, yeah, this is sometimes a weird conversation for people. I totally get how it can be really, it can feel really formal and kind of clunky and awkward to be like, Hello, would you like to partake in sexual intercourse with me? But it does not have to be like that. Uh, I think sometimes people think that's what it's going to sound like when you're talking about consent and discussing consent with your partners. Um, But like I said, It doesn't have to be like that, and honestly, it can make the experience more enjoyable. I remember the first time that I was ever verbally asked for consent, and I was just taken aback for a moment because it was so foreign to me. I had had consensual sexual experience before where I wasn't outright asked, but this particular experience really sticks with me because I felt genuinely cared for and respected, and although most of my past experiences hadn't necessarily been bad, I never felt like I had an opportunity to really confirm if I was comfortable until then. We had gone out to the bar, they kind of propositioned me, and even though I had said yes initially, they made sure to check in with me again when we got back to their house. They asked if I was sure I was comfortable and okay with the situation, and made sure that I actually wanted to be there you know making sure that yeah making sure that I was making this decision on my own and that felt really different and really nice and they also made me french fries so bonus I (laughs) I consented to those as well (laughs) right it's just you know like it's a that's a good time and it feels good anyway you can ask for consent and communicate with your partners in so many ways. And it again, it doesn't have to be so weird. Be awkward and right. Is it all right if I kiss you? Would you like a hug? Can I spend the night? Uh, are you cool with that? Would you like me to stop? Do we need to... Is this okay? Right. Yeah. Do we need to take a little rain check, take a break? Mm-hmm. Are you in the mood for this? Are you doing all right? Should I keep going? Right. Like, I think people probably do these things more often than they think. The, are you doing all right? Right. They might not even be conscious that this is like checking in about consent and boundaries. And honestly, I think we could use more of that because Mm -hmm. I do think still, even though these are a little more casual, 
they maybe we don't saying the word consent, but you're still asking. Right. Yeah. And, and I think we could make an effort to do that more often. Mm-hmm. You know, those are really simple, casual ways to check in and make sure whoever's involved is safe, comfortable and consenting. Sure. Yeah. I think we overthink it too much. Asking for consent really isn't as complicated or awkward as we sometimes make it out to be. But of course, there are also some situations where somebody might not be able to properly give consent. Oh, for sure. And we should be cognizant of that, too. So tell me, what circumstances might limit somebody's ability to consent? Probably the first one that comes to mind for most folks would be when somebody's under the influence of drugs or alcohol. And I'm not saying, oh, you had a single beer and now you can't make decisions for yourself. I sounded really Midwestern saying that. Welcome to the Midwest. (laughs) Right. But if somebody's impaired, then, uh, yeah, they're not in the right state to be able to give consent. Also, I know that there's always a lot of debate around this topic. And people always ask, well, what if they were both drunk? But ultimately, whoever made advances should be held accountable, right? Being too drunk is not an excuse to be assaulted, nor is it an excuse to assault somebody else. You don't get a pass for hurting somebody just because you were drunk and didn't know what you were doing. Those were still your actions. Mm-hmm. We expect people to be held responsible if they start a fist fight or hit a pedestrian while they're driving drunk. So why would that change? Right. If we don't excuse those things by saying, oh, they were drunk, they didn't know any better. Why in the world would we excuse harming somebody in this way? Right. And it happens all the time, unfortunately. But if you didn't recognize that somebody was too impaired to engage in consensual sexual activity, that's on you. We ask people, particularly women, over and over to not get too drunk in order to protect themselves from sexual assaults. But I, I don't know that I ever really hear warnings to not get drunk so that you don't sexually assault somebody. Your bad decisions are not my responsibility. Right. We're asking potential victims to keep themselves safe instead of asking potential perpetrators to keep themselves in check and to not hurt other people. I know I've been focusing on alcohol here, but I think the same goes for drug use. And there's also another layer of stigma with drugs, too. Our culture frequently tells people, tells drug users and addicts that they don't deserve compassion simply because Mm -hmm. they've been using makes absolutely no sense to me. It's a lie. Yeah. People need to work on being more compassionate because there's no excusing that ever. Like, I don't care what the situation is. If somebody's been assaulted, if somebody's boundaries and consent have not been respected, Mm -hmm. I don't care who they are or what they were doing. That's messed up, and it needs to be... People need to be held accountable and responsible for their actions. Right, and I think... I think there's obviously there's a lot a lot of victim blaming that goes into drinking a massive amount but you go to a bar like this is a very common thing to you know Mm -hmm. say that like everybody is now starting to say because it's 2020 thank god or 2021 thank god yeah who knows what time what year is whatever whatever year you're listening to this (laughs) yes yeah but you go to a bar expecting to get a drink Mm mm-hmm and maybe to get drunk, not to get raped. Right. Exactly. Who? Like, it, it just it does not. Makes no sense to me the way that people sometimes try to justify. Not to be raped that. in a bar. 
Of course not. Yeah. Like, like you don't have you to know. be drunk or impaired to be right. taken advantage of. I mean, exactly. you know, but yeah. it does make people more vulnerable and it mm-hmm. unfortunately is often half of sexual assaults have intoxication. Yeah, I don't know the exact statistics, but of... it's, you know, it's not uncommon. Yeah. You know, just because you're drinking does not mean that you will be raped or will rape somebody right. or assault somebody, but it definitely increases chances and risks. Right. Yeah. It's something to talk about and to be aware of. Yeah. On a somewhat related note, somebody who is like partially asleep or passed out or in and out of consciousness is not able to give proper consent either. And that might sound obvious, but... Unfortunately, again, there are many cases where somebody has taken advantage of a sleeping or unconscious person who is incapable of giving an informed, conscious, enthusiastic yes. Uh, I know I briefly mentioned earlier that consent can't be coerced. And if somebody says yes out of fear or guilt or pressure, etc., they also aren't consenting by their own free will. And that's, yeah, again, another thing we got to talk about when we talk about consent if you pester somebody over and over until they give in and say yes, that's not consensual. If you make them feel like they owe you sex, that's not consensual. Or like maybe they tell you they'll blackmail you if you don't say yes. That's not consensual. You know, there's so many of these situations. If they're forcing or manipulating you in any way, physically, mentally, emotionally, financially, whatever the case might be, then you are not in a position to give true consent. And legal tidbit here. If you are under somebody's arrest or power or control, if if somebody has established power over you or authority over you, like say you got arrested, mm-hmm. law enforcement cannot have sex with you, even if it is consensual, because technically... You cannot give consent when you are already arrested and under somebody else's power, control, and authority. Yeah. Absolutely. And, like, yeah, it makes sense. If you were sleeping with your teacher for good grades. Yes. You cannot do that because because you're getting something out of it, but because Mm -hmm. they are using sex as a power control and a reward for you now. Yeah, exactly. But, no, it's... Yeah, not consent to somebody who already has authority over you. Right. And that's something I definitely want to expand on here, too, is talking about that power imbalance. Mm -hmm. Um, Well, I think that also ties in with why you can't consent until you're 18. Yes. Yes. So let's talk about that. Some other states have what might be called a Romeo and Juliet law where somebody underage could give consent if their partner is close in age. And these laws definitely, you know, they vary from state to state. In the state of Wisconsin, there is no type of Romeo and Juliet law. Uh, so the age of consent is always 18 in this state, and minors cannot give legal consent. On another note, kind of bringing this back to the power differential conversation in regards to age, I think there are frequent debates about age gaps in relationships. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> before anybody comes for me, There are plenty of healthy relationships between adult partners who vary in age, for sure. I'm not saying that can never work out. I think most of the concern about age gaps comes from the role of power dynamics rather than age itself. You know, somebody in their early 30s is going to be in a different stage in their life than somebody who's like 18, you know, and that can 
that can really impact the relationship people have with each other. And it often creates, again, that power imbalance that it, it can be <laughs> very harmful in some situations. Again, I'm not saying relationships with age gaps can never work, but it's really important to consider the influence that this can have. Uh, unfortunately, there are sometimes people who will prey on younger and mo- more vulnerable individuals because of their age. And even on the flip side, too, older adults, there are sometimes younger people who enter relationships with older individuals with bad intentions. When it comes to power dynamics, I think there are other factors to consider, too, like you brought up before, Coltra, like relationships between a, a boss and an employee or a therapist and their client, a teacher and their student, musicians and their fans. We've seen that so much throughout history. And if you're already dating and then somebody gets promoted, that's that's different. Yeah, again, it's a totally different situation and setup. You know, it's... Right. You know, I I think there there are situational things in play there. Absolutely. Not that you can never have these or form these relationships, but... Consent is a huge issue in those relationships. We should be aware of them and, you know, reflect on where we're at with those things. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, whenever somebody has power over another person in a relationship, that can be potentially dangerous. Mm -hmm. And somebody could be manipulated into a relationship or swayed by the power somebody else has over them. Can true consent really exist in those situations? You know, like I know many people who have been coerced by somebody in a position of power especially in their youth, and they may not have even realized how unhealthy that dynamic was until years later. Right, and, like, I want to go back quick before we go too far ahead. Yeah. Like, with the age gap, like, since we already brought up my relationship, we may as well bring it up again. Yeah, sure. Like, my fiancé is eight years older than me. Yeah. When we initially started dating, I did not see this going so far because he was so much older than me, and I... I had always been very, I'd been brought up to believe that, like, any type of age gap is problematic, especially mm-hmm. if you make one, and all these things, and so, like, it really shook, shocked, <laughs> shocked me that yeah. it had even started, and, you know, I saw what was problematic, or mm-hmm. what could potentially be problematic, but then couldn't find it in my relationship. Yeah, and, absolutely. And that was like, okay. We're good. Right. So I, I had my mom in my ear saying, <laughs> and I was just like, right. Mom. Well, and that, <laughs> again, it's like, it's your decisions. You have a choice in things. Right. That's how it should be. And just make sure you're informed and in a safe place to make those decisions right. for yourself. I was still a college student and mm-hmm. he was a homeowner. But you know what? Our maturity met in a great middle ground. Yeah. I look older than I am. He looks younger than he is. <laughs> we're base. We're both basically the same age. Right. If it works, it works. Anything other than our birth year. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And totally agree that, yeah, it can work out. And that's why it's also important if you go to college somewhere else and you are still considered a minor to see what the age of consent mm-hmm. is, where you travel or where you go to school. Just always be aware of that. So you don't get in legal trouble in the long run Mm -hmm. and just be aware of each state's laws. Yeah. It's always a good idea to be informed. Doesn't hurt. Mm -hmm. Because, I mean, if you go somewhere and you do commit a crime and you're like, well, I didn't know. They're going to be sorry. It's the rule. Right. Um, Taking this in a different direction here for a little bit. uh, Another 
relationship dynamic that is often addressed when we talk about power dynamics is one between disabled individuals and their caretakers. Uh, unfortunately, people with disabilities are at increased risk of experiencing sexual assault. So yeah, that is a valid concern. Our society also doesn't seem to have a great understanding of disability and bodily autonomy. So allowing those individuals to exactly. So I want to talk about that. A lot of people assume that all people with cognitive disabilities are incapable of making decisions for themselves. And honestly, this applies to physical disabilities a lot as well. People have this gross habit of infantilizing disabled people and treating them like children. And of course, like a lot of things I've talked about on this podcast, a lot of things are very situational, including this. And there are certainly reasonable concerns about people with disabilities being preyed upon, especially by caretakers. We have to have more open and honest dialogue about disability as a whole to get the big picture. Mm -hmm. There are a lot of really wonderful cases of people having incredible, healthy relationships with their caretakers, too. Um, And I, I don't want to discount that either. If you want to see a really wonderful example of a healthy, interabled relationship, I highly, highly recommend checking out Shane and Hannah Burkaw from Squirmy and Grubs. Um, they have a really great YouTube channel. Like I said, it's called Squirmy and Grubs. They post a lot of really informative and fun content, and I can't get enough of those two. They're great. Um, I have a couple of Shane's books, and I honestly wish I could just be their friends in real life because they both seem so cool and fun. Um, so if you're listening, contact Kat <laughs> so you can be friends. Yeah. <laughs> Shane and Hannah, if you somehow are listening to this, I want to be your friend. You seem so cool. <laughs> they do a really good job of presenting that information to the public and being really open and honest about their relationship and where they're at and talking about all the things that come with that kind of relationship. And I just think as a whole, we have to do better about understanding both disability and consent and how they intertwine with each other. People get really uncomfortable talking about sex and disability, in my experience at least, but we should be talking about it. A few years back, I took a weekend class about sex and disability at UW-Stout, which was taught by Kyle Kleist, who is now, I believe, located at the Center Center for Independent Living for Western Wisconsin, if memory serves me right. But it was a really good opportunity for me personally to challenge my own biases and misconceptions. And I really encourage anybody to take this as an opportunity to reflect on what they think they know and then to dig deeper and learn more. Not necessarily even just about sex and disability either. Totally recommend doing that. But, you know, for any of the things we've talked about here, anything that you find yourself thinking on, like if you have questions throughout this, you can reach out to us. You can do a little Google search and, you know, it's it's never a bad idea to stay informed, like I said. Keep learning. It's a lifelong process. Right. And I was just going to jump in on that, too, and say the same thing. Like, if you don't, if something makes you uncomfortable, learn something about it. Yeah. Don't just, like, push it out of your mind and act like it doesn't exist because you're just going to be uncomfortable every right. time you hear about it. Yeah. You know, do take some, that opportunity. Digging, you know, do some reflection. Yep. Maybe learn something. I hope so. (laughs) It's good. It's healthy to keep learning. Now that we kind of talked about boundaries and consent, let's kind of go through some examples of both. Yeah. So I will start by just listing 
these four little points about what and unhealthy boundaries are characterized by, and then we'll go around and talk talk about uh, what makes a healthy boundary. Uh, so unhealthy boundaries are characterized by sharing too much too soon, or at the end, or at the other end of the spectrum, closing yourself off and not expressing your wants, needs, feelings, and also feeling responsible for others' happiness. A weak sense of your own identity. Uh, you base your how you feel on how others treat you, uh, or allowing others to make decisions for you, um, and then feeling powerless and unable to take responsibility of your own life. So a healthy boundary allows an individual to have high self-esteem and self-respect, share personal information gradually in a mutually sharing and trusting relationship, protect physical and emotional space from intrusion. You have an equal partnership where responsibility and power are shared. You have to be assertive confidently and truthfully say yes or no and be okay with others saying no to you. You have your separate needs, thoughts, feelings, and desires from others. You recognize that your boundary and needs are different from others. And also you empower yourself to make healthy choices and take responsibility for yourself. If you are dealing with someone who is physically dangerous or threatening to you, it may not be safe to attempt to set explicit boundaries with them. If you are in this situation, it can be helpful to work with a counselor, therapist, or advocate at the Bridge to Hope to create a safety plan and boundary setting may be part of this. A few other things that you could do too, right? Take one another's feelings into account, show each other gratitude, just being honest with each other, giving space for that autonomy that we've talked about and avoiding codependence. Show respect for your differences in opinion, perspective, and feelings. Sit with the other person's communication of emotion. Take responsibility for your actions, each of you individually. And ask permission. So now that we've talked about what constitutes as healthy and unhealthy, um, I think pretty specifically, let's kind of open it up and discuss the ask permission one. I think that one's a great one. Because my partner and I, we share lots of things, uh, but we still ask each other, not so much for permission to use it, but more so of, hey, I'm going to take your speaker, just so you know. And it's not that like he's taking it and he's never going to give it back. It's just that I know where it is. You know, I really don't have any issue with him taking or using my things. I just, if I want to use it, I hope that it's in wherever I had already left it. And that's basically what you know, asking permission is to us. Absolutely. A hundred percent understandable. I can relate to that. And that's like a really, really good example of a pretty simple boundary that I think people can probably relate to. And it's not unrealistic either. Like, yeah, absolutely. You know, it's that boundary has nothing to do with sex or anything like that, but it's yeah. still, it's still a good, clear boundary as far as what my expectations are. Mm -hmm. You know, I expect my things to be where I left them. <laughs> yeah, that's... Shocker. Yeah, <laughs> it's, it's another great example, again, of, you know, how these things can be applied outside of strictly just sexual or romantic relationships, too. Mm -hmm. What other ones stood up out to either Let's of you? Let's see. I'm thinking showing gratitude. We kind of mentioned this the last yeah, podcast. Mm -hmm. But it's huge to just thank your partner for different things that they do. So if 
they empty the dishwasher every now and then. If they do it all the time, you can just thank them because mm -hmm. who doesn't like to be thanked for something that they do? Right. It's just, it's little. Yeah. It's little, but it makes a big impact. I think sharing personal information gradually is a really good one, too. Um, mm -hmm. I feel, you know, not everybody's super outgoing, but I do think that sometimes people just kind of get anxious and end up sharing more than they like to. Trauma dumping. Yeah, exactly. And that's, you know, it's not necessarily bad to be an open person, but it can really get you into sticky spots that you don't like and maybe you think that you have trouble making friends mm -hmm. but it may also be because you share too much right and also like make sure that the other people who you're sharing with are in a, a mental state you know depending on what you're sharing with them right where they can take that on mm -hmm. you know you don't want to just bear them down with like the worst experience of right. your life and well, it could be really know. triggering to them, too, exactly. depending they on... have a similar yeah. experience. Right. You sharing and talking about yours mm -hmm. put them into that state of mind. And I know I have the habit of this when I go through the grocery store line and somebody asks me how my day was. Sometimes I ramble on. Surprise, surprise, I'm a talker. Mm -hmm. But it's important to know when you're oversharing or when they're comfortable with it. And sometimes when they ask you how your day is, they don't actually care. They're just doing it. To fill the void of time. And this may sound bizarre, but when somebody asks you for, you know, how was your day? Instead of just saying fine, you know, yeah. fine, be honest. Being honest is one of the things you listen to. Yeah, maybe you don't need to ramble on. But if you can honestly say, you know, it wasn't the greatest day. Right. And somebody can sincerely say, you know, I hope it gets better. Right. Like, like why do we have to conceal? Right. It doesn't have to. <laughs> yeah. Somebody shares that they're having a bad day. It doesn't mean that you need to go to the moon to make it better. Like, right. Especially when it's a stranger. Like, well, and it happens, you know. A little bit of empathy. Yeah, everybody has bad days. We shouldn't have to pretend that they don't happen. But, like, they also don't have to just share every detail of that, yeah, you know. Exactly. Like, sure, if you're in a space to take that on and to ask what's going on, like, can I help you out, whatever, right. that's awesome, that's great. But not everybody is all the time. Exactly. Just having a little balance there. Yeah. One of the earlier ones that I think Alyssa mentioned was uh, having high self-esteem and self-respect. And it kind of makes me think of this principle we hear all the time of you have to love yourself first before you can love somebody else. And I think that's really true. Something I've had to learn myself on a very deeply personal level. And that takes a lot of work and it can be hard. But I do think that there's uh, something to that working on yourself and loving yourself. Mm -hmm. um, you know, it, it it's really hard to imagine how somebody would have a healthy relationship with another person if they can't have a healthy relationship with themselves. Right. And like, we're not saying, you know, be cocky or egotistic. Right. Like those are very different things. Mm -hmm. You can have really high self-confidence, but not have an ego. Right. Like it, that's, and it's, you should yeah. have an ego sometimes, honestly. Oh, for Every sure. Once in a while, go for it. For sure. It's more about acknowledging and like tr truly recognizing and appreciating your own worth as a person, not selling yourself short of, you know, what you're right. capable of and what you deserve. I think a lot of people will settle for less because they, um, they haven't really practiced that with themselves and they haven't really had an opportunity to give themselves the love that they deserve. So being able to do that 
to give yourself a little pat on the back, give yourself some love here and there. That's really important. And it's necessary for good relationships with other people. Mm-hmm. And I think similarly, we also have as an unhealthy boundary characterization as a weak sense of your own identity. Mm-hmm. I think that one is one that we see kind of often where somebody, you know, talking about all these problems with their partners and I'm not just talking about at work. I see this, but like friends and people socially where I'm just like, you are never on the same page Yeah, and you're trying so hard to make it work. And I respect you for that, you know, trying to make it work, but you also have to realize and know and understand when you can't make something work. Right. Where's the line? Right. Exactly. Like if you're constantly trying to fix things with your partner and mm-hmm. like can't meet in the middle or anything, like maybe, maybe that's not right. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I couldn't agree more. I think it's hard for people. Like we kind of talked last up or in the last episode of the podcast, we talked about, Oh, I've committed all this time to this person, whatever. Right. But it's like, you get to a point where is it really worth your energy anymore? You might need to take a step back and right. look at the big picture and reevaluate mm-hmm. what's healthiest for both of you mm-hmm. and especially yourself. And it's like if it's the same problem or the same problem with different people, yep. you know, check yourself. Yeah. You Where's it stemming from? Exactly. Like, it, you know, maybe it's not something that you're – it probably isn't something you're doing, but maybe it is. Who knows? Right. And that's totally okay. But, like, knowing yourself and knowing your limits and knowing those things so that you don't get to that breaking point – Yes. Is like, is kind of what I'm getting at here. Yeah. You know, it's not so much that you're right or wrong. It's knowing those feelings in yourself and being yes. able to identify that early and often. Yeah. And that's not always an easy thing to do. Mm-hmm. And also, you know, I don't want anybody to feel like I'm saying that you're not worthy of love if you're not Absolutely in a, not right. right. You know, right. like if you're not in a good space right now, that can be really hard and really isolating. And I think, you know, we should be able to rely on each other mm-hmm. as a community, as friends, as family, whatever your relationship with other people might be, be able to help pick each other up mm-hmm. and encourage each other and empower each other to do better. But, you know, these are just some, you know, pretty blanket statements in a way. Right. They're important. But again, with as with everything, it's situational. Right. And I think a lot of people really struggle with, being alone and like not having a relationship or not being in a relationship big time i mean we set that up as being like the ultimate goal for people you can have you know maybe it's not a romantic relationship but you can fill that void with your mom your dad your brother your yeah. cousins like they're your friends like there are i'm i guarantee that there are other people around you that would love your time yeah and attention right i mean i have two roommates who I've known forever and they are my best friends in the whole world. Right. And They're you know, it supports for you. Absolutely. <laughs> I think about my relationship with them versus, you know, like a romantic relationship and how my relationship with those two is so fulfilling to me mm-hmm. and it works, you know, right. that's just, it, it works how it's yeah. supposed to. And yeah, I don't think it's always about the things we think it's always about. <laughs> yeah. No, it's, Relationships are hard. Right. They're all complex, no matter what kind of relationship it is. Yeah. And as much as we're preaching um, 
Our relationships aren't perfect either. Oh, absolutely. So. <laughs> no, we are all hum- fallible. We're oh. all capable of making mistakes, mm-hmm. and we do. Right. You know, none of us are perfect. Mm-hmm. But that's, like, kind of the beauty of the world is, again, we keep talking about these things. We learn from each other, and we do better. So this concludes the second portion of our series on relationships, boundaries, and sex. Oh my. Kat, do you want to leave us with something to think about? Yeah. Before we end this episode and wrap everything up, I want to encourage our listeners to take a moment after listening to this podcast episode to think about where where did you learn about boundaries and about consent and what has that looked like in your life? How have you navigated setting boundaries and talking about consent in your own life? Like, I think it's always just a good idea to reflect on where you come from and where you got the opinions and views that you hold. So take a minute just to think about all of those things for yourself. Maybe we could talk a little bit about our own experiences that before we close the episode. Yeah, I can jump in. Um, I think as far as boundaries, I definitely learned from my mom and stepmom and two very different versions of what boundaries were and how they existed and worked and functioned. And I think that that juxtaposition has really helped me, but also confused me (laughs) with boundaries. Sure. Um, But consent, I definitely remember, you know, back to elementary school and we had somebody come in and like teach us a little song and dance about where your bikini or swimsuit Mm. covers and like absolute no's. And I feel like there was a big gap and like we just never really talked about it for a while until I got to college and was just like consent was like all of a sudden all the rage. Yeah. And like, which it should be, (laughs) it should be, (laughs) but it shouldn't be that late in the game. But yeah, because I, I, I know that we had talked about it and it had been brought up, but mm-hmm. it had never really been taught until college. Right, like as Which a two concrete ways. subject. Yeah. yeah. Right. Which, and for it to be a concrete subject in college, I felt that that was a bit late. I think it's far too late. You know, yeah. like, kind of, you know, going back to what I was talking about earlier, not even with just consent, but boundaries in general. Mm-hmm. I think the early the earlier we start those conversations, the and, better. And ca- and just saying what they are, yeah. at an early young, young age, because like boundaries and consent don't just have to be an adult thing. Like they shouldn't be. They're not. No, yeah, they're not. They're not just an adult no. thing. You're completely right about that. The same way that we learn, you know, golden rule. We should also be learning consent and boundaries. Yes. Yep. Because why not? Why are people scared to talk about that when it's something that could really... Because boundaries and consent are the golden rule. They should be, <laughs> yeah. Like, that's that's the standard we should the hold ourselves to. huge. A thousand percent. Yeah, for sure. Like, yeah, like I said, I don't even remember where I learned about consent. Same kind of goes for boundaries. I mean, I feel like there's maybe less clear, like, educational structure around boundaries. boundaries. Like, you kind of learn them more right. naturally and whatnot, but... Yeah, consent for sure. I can't even remember where I first heard the word. I don't think we ever really talked about it in school at any point. And much like you, I think 
my earliest memories about those boundaries and stuff were more about like, okay, don't let anybody see or touch your private areas, which was really confusing. And shaming. And shaming, for sure. Like, as a child, just to be given that and not anything else, like, what was I supposed to do with that? And now, as adults, we're supposed to be confident. (laughs) Right. Well, and then also, like, stranger danger was a huge thing, and probably still is for kids. We're trying to stop teaching that. Right, yeah. You know, it's good to be aware of your surroundings, but not just with strangers, with everybody. You need to learn how to trust your gut, not stranger danger. Right. Right. There are so many Mm -hmm. other possibilities, and unfortunately, a lot of times, people are hurt by people who are close to them in their life and when we don't when we don't teach people that that's a possibility how are they supposed to recognize that something's wrong it's not that we're trying to poison young minds it's absolutely have these conversations open and early Mm -hmm. so that they can be discussed before they become problems yep that's exactly it that's exactly the point hit the nail on the head there Coltra. and it's not those strangers in the white van yeah right jumping out from behind the bushes (laughs) offering candy (laughs) not to say that it can never happen but it's you know statistically speaking it's unlikely you know yeah more often than not it's somebody you know and who back to the power differential conversation we had Mm -hmm. probably has power or authority over you So. It's a terrible thing to think about and accept, especially when you have kids. But. Right. Like I, I very much wish that I had had more conversations about this growing up. Boundaries, again, like I kind of learned within my family. Um, or like we talked about the example of giving family members hugs and things like that. My, my parents, I know they were very well intended, but sometimes they would be like, oh, it's ridiculous if you're not going to give your grandma a hug if you don't want to do that. I'm like, I agree because I like giving my grandma a hug, but I I can understand why that's not for everybody or where that's uncomfortable or, you know, like not everybody's going to make it to every family function. Right. Whatever. And I said that and brought it up because I don't think that anybody in my family would remember it. Mm -hmm. But for some reason, I know for a fact that we are at my great grandmother's house, like a normal part of tradition. And one of my uncles always passed out gifts and, for whatever reason, it was he's not even my uncle. He's my great uncle. And so uh, when he was passing out gifts, for whatever reason, he thought that, it, you know, like, he wanted kisses on the cheeks. Yeah. Kids to get the present. And I said no. Yeah. And everybody was like, well, you know, culture, come on, just go give him a kiss. Like, oh, uh, it's no big like, deal. No. <laughs> like, gross. No, I don't want to kiss my uncle. He's 50 years older than me. Like, <laughs> no. Right. And, like, I just, I remember that. And, mm-hmm. you know, I think I even tried to kick him in the nuts. <laughs> you know, <laughs> typical. But, yeah. like, I, I remember that. And I know that probably nobody else in my family remembers that. And isn't like, that interesting that yeah. that would, that obviously is going to stick with you, but other and people, it's no it big deal. In a while and just like, wow, what was going on there? Yeah. Like, and it's also important to know cultural differences because in mm-hmm, some families yeah. they might do things differently because mm-hmm. some families right. they kiss on the lips to each other mm-hmm. and some families might think that's right. weird. Right. And so it's all depends on differences. Like, yeah. And like we were saying, like consent, I never really remember learning it in school at all. And just once you grow up, you're expected to know everything. And it's just mm-hmm. interesting to yeah. look back at all the things we were taught and be like, huh, that seems different. Mm-hmm. Right. 
And I, I do like that you brought that point up, Alyssa. Different isn't always bad, and it's really up to people to decide for themselves. Again, we're all about that autonomy and empowerment for yourself. It's up to them to decide what they're comfortable with or not. You know, if that's something their family does, like for, like your example said, like if they kiss on the mouth with each other, some people are going to feel uncomfortable with that because it's not what they're used to. But like, right. if that's common for somebody and they're comfortable with it, you know, like it's not my job to be like, that's gross. Don't do that. Right. Well, and I, I think something to also mention is just because it's different doesn't mean that it's bad, but also keeping in mind what, you know, what our laws are. Right. And within reason. <laughs> yeah. You know, you know, within reason, you yeah. know, there are some practices that are done in other countries that are not done here and vice versa. Yeah. But that's something that, you know, we do, we do need to consider and that, you know, some people just are not exposed to the same things. Right. Even living here. Like, yeah. It's very dynamic. Indeed. Alrighty, well, that's about all we have for you. Thank you so much for joining. We will see you on our next episode talking about safe sex and sexual health. Your needs are more important than the person who can't give you respect. Mm-hmm.